Welcome to Dragon Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing straight. How are you doing? I'm doing straight in. Okay. What do you think? It's different. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. We've got an awesome show for you today. We do. We have Jim Zub and Patrick Rothfuss. We do have an awesome show. We talked about a lot of uh, comic book stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the, your jam, you're going to love this show. As well as uh, just fantasy sequential storytelling in general. Or just two cool hosts. Two cool hosts <laughs> named Shelly and Greg. <laughs> then you'll also enjoy the show. Forget about the guests. Yeah. No bueno on them. Do you think people really listen for the guests? I don't think so. They really just want to hear us. The wh- it up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. This is the opposite of witty. Love, what are you talking about? I like when things like that are said, and then I look at Ryan, and he gives us the, oh, am I going to edit that out? I don't know. We'll see if he I think that on. he should, and it should just be, we're going to bleep it up in here, and people can speculate on what that. It could be many different things. It could be uh, uh, rolling dice. Eat. Eat. It up in here. <laughs> That's why you would have to edit it because we have lots of crunching sounds. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want those on the microphone. We are here with two amazing guests who call into this Dragon Talk show. A little shock jock. That was a little shock jocking. Who are they? Jim Zub. Patrick Rothfuss. Are here today. To throw down. On comic books. Bong. And Rick and Morty. Also, uh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons versus... Rick, Rick and, Morty. and Morty. Off the top rope. What? Bam! That's, that's what's going to happen in this interview. Yep. It's true. Probably some belching. Um, it was a really fun. I like talking to those two gentlemen. Yeah, because they're just pretty amazing. Yeah. And they make me laugh a lot. They made me laugh, too. Um, oh, as you know what, do their words. Their words on uh, the comic books as well as the press release. Yes. <laughs> made yes. me laugh a lot. Okay, seriously, good quotes there. Yeah, no. You got to love good stuff. that. When I can't wait. Give you a good quote. I'm so glad that I sh- I pointed it out to Pat, and he's like, "I don't remember ever saying those things." I'm like, "Well, that's that's more Rick and Morty thing than you could possibly ever say." Yeah, yeah. You were deep, deep in the Rick and Morty when mm. you said that. Deep, deep. You were deep in the chocolate and peanut butter Beer when that was chocolate. all happening. Yep. Um, so issue number one of uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons is out in comic book stores right now, and I think issue two is coming hot on its heels. Which cover would you get of issue one? Because there's like 9,000. There's like 25 different or, covers. Or 25. Uh, or 9,000. Uh, 9, somewhere in between there. I mean, yes. It's a huge range. Yes. Um, and they're all awesome and super they cool. Are. So go to your local comic book uh, store. And figure out how to how to get one of those because they're cool. People are loving this. Loving the comic book. Oh, I thought you were talking about our podcast. Oh, duh. <laughs> our podcast. They're um, loving it. Too. Rick and Morty versus D and D. Yeah, they're loving it. How could they not? I don't know. It's, it's like just a match made in hell. Well, those two writers, I think, did uh, an excellent job of uh, putting together both. The, of those fandoms into one thing. They're yes. very knowledgeable in both, and it doesn't feel like a artificial like um, references or anything like that. It's all part of the story, uh, which which I really appreciated when I was reading through those those hallowed pages. And it's in interesting to hear the creative process. It's true and how that works. Uh, you know what also is interesting to what? hear about the creative process? What? Um, putting together a book like Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting. Uh, so uh, that book is out in stores now everywhere. You can yep. pick it up and uh, start playing with it. It's a great way to introduce 
uh, nude players of Dungeons and Dragons, as well as perhaps lapsed players. It uh, starts off in an, an urban setting, and uh, Bring you're, you're ready to go. And this might be a little different than what some people would expect. There's not D&D. a lot of dungeon crawling or like you know urban. that whole thing. It's it's you're you're in an awesome city uh, with its own uh, dangers and uh, opportunities in it. Are you enjoying clerical? Error. I am enjoying clerical so, air. I think I've seen a lot um, on the Twitters yeah. about people who are really enjoying it, and they seem to really like your character. I really like my character too. Oh. His name is Fabin. Uh, he can no longer see. He was looking at the sun for too long. Uh, oh, he was no. a, he was a cleric of Lathander, and oh. uh, he was forced to look at the sun by a very. Well, we haven't even gotten to this backstory part yet, but it's there. Uh, but now he's follower of uh, the nature goddess of Myliki and wants to clean up Waterdeep with his cohorts in the Dung Sweepers Guild. Okay. There's a lot of fertilizer to be held in the Dung Sweepers Guild. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a very job. cool um, street level kind of way of thinking about uh, storytelling in the urban setting of Waterdeep while all the stuff of Waterdeep Dragon Heist is going around. It's a way to use the city in uh, that's that's detailed in the book in a way that doesn't necessarily have to follow all of the plot points in the book. It's interesting that you're playing a character that is blind. Yeah. How how do you do that? I actually spoke to a uh, player. His name uh, Blind Temple on Twitter. Oh. Uh, he uh, is a wonderful uh, resource uh, as well as you know he kind of takes it on his his, his life mission to. Uh, make sure that people who are are sight, who have sight, you know, can 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 learn about what it is like to be blind. Not necessarily as a blind character or as a blind player, but he was a perfect resource to be like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And uh, yeah, he was fantastic. So um, I like the idea of playing as a blind character. That's not really like the defining characteristic, really. Right. Like he's just he's a character and he just can't see. And yeah. He's uh, able to go on adventures with his uh, cohorts and 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 support in a clerical way as much as he can. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's been super fun, and uh, he's uh, crazy and snarky, just like uh, the rest of the group are. Do you ever think about Daryl? I do think about Daryl Two Shoes. Do you? Yeah, he was he was the straight laced uh, brother of Drunky Two Shoes. Yes, born in the same litter. Yep, as a tabaxi. Yep. Do you think you want to bring uh, Drunky Two Shoes back? She is back. She's back. She's somewhere. I don't even remember where we were. We were in Chult, I believe. Right? Oh, was that where we were? Yeah. Well, she's somewhere in Chult looking for her... No, Nathan's adventure. Oh, you've been using her in there. I've forgotten. What do you, well, easily forgotten. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cut you deep. That was her, too. And yeah. she was on a mission to find her brother, Daryl, <laughs> who may or may not have died from the death plague. I think he died from the death plague. Do you? Yeah, he was just too straight-laced. He was, uh, he was feeling it. Felining it. Felining it. So maybe we'll bring it back in uh, Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. That's coming out in November. All right. We'll have the Two Shoes clan reunited. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I feel so bad for Drunky. Uh, that book uh, details a uh, sprawling dungeon below the city of Waterdeep. Whoa. 23 levels, I believe, uh, are detailed. It is the domain of Halaster Black Cloak, uh, but there's lots of different uh, adventures and storylines that go between levels. Some of them are self-contained on individual levels. All of them have areas on the levels that you can expand upon and put your own little fun twist on it uh, because it, it, uh, it continues ever, ever and anon. Uh, it also details all about Skullport. 
the town below uh, the city of Waterdeep where ne'er do wells hang out, such as Drunky Two Shoes. She's probably just there looking for her brother. She's probably there looking for her brother, thinking he had washed up on the uh, the dark lake. He didn't wash up anywhere. She believes he's alive. In her heart. Nine lives. They do have at least nine lives, it's true. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be exciting. Maybe we'll see uh, Drunky Two Shoes uh, open up a chain of barbecue places here in the Seattle area. Maybe. Yeah, you never know. Oh. Uh, there's also Dungeon Mayhem coming out in November, November 16th. Yay! It is a fantastic card game that's super easy to learn. It takes two minutes to explain it to someone. Yep. A game is played in, in less than 15, probably less than 10 minutes, really. Probably, depending on the game. Uh, and we, you just want to start playing again, like immediately. Yes. You play as four different characters, Paladin, Barbarian, Wizard, Rogue. You each have your own deck of spells yep. or abilities that you can use out there. The iconography is super uh, evocative, and the artwork is really cool. What's so the name of the artist again? Kyle Farron. Kyle Farron. You probably see him on, on the Twitters. He is the designer of uh, the images in Root. Yes. This is a board game out there that's climbing up the charts. It sure is. Indie darling. Yes. Uh, so check that out. Uh, you also have um, an indie darling climbing up the charts. It's not really indie, it's but it is, it is darling. Uh, those those. Creepy kids in Betrayal Legacy. Uh, the little girl? Yeah. Sorry. Why do you think she's creepy? She's probably got some issues. Why would you say that? Because it's a horror-based game. Because <laughs> she's standing <laughs> in front of a big haunted house. Exactly. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. I can't wait. Can you? I cannot. Do you want to play? Yes. I feel like I have enough copies now. That I can <gasps> finally crack one open and we you can have start copies? playing. Yeah, did you see the boxes by my desk? I mean, I've seen mock-ups of the box. No. Mocks of the box? No. So there are boxes. <laughs> mocks of the boxes. Locks of the boxes. Is there locks? That are rock in the box. Is there locks in the box? There's a fox in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you keep your rocks? He's eating locks. <laughs> I'm not going to say the other one that's coming to mind. Uh, so... What's the name of our uh, the president of Wizards of the Coast? Oh, that one. Yeah. Nope, didn't even go there. No. Socks? Socks? Um, are we socks compliant? Oh, my God. Remember that? <laughs> we are. Um, what were we saying? Betrayal, Betrayal Legacy. Legacy. We're going to open up a box of locks, rock socks, and, and we're gonna play. play the game. We're going to play, but you have to commit to playing the whole campaign. Oh, I'm committing. Okay. I can commit. Okay. I've been married for 14 years. I can commit. Oh, wow. All right. And we got to figure out who else we want in there. Uh, probably only cool people. So Ryan's out. Um, oh, Pelham's out. Nathan's Ooh. out. Yeah. Uh, it might just be us. I mean, Bart? <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So it'll just be Matt Mercer and Chris Perkins then. Okay, good. Yes. All right. Done. Okay. All right. Um, or Jim Zub and Pat Rothfuss. Oh, Jim Zub and Pat Rothfuss. Because this is now... You know, that's the interview that's coming what we're up. talking about? It's true. Okay. We're, we're cluing in on future interviews you may be able to hear. Oh, that was an Easter egg. That's an Easter egg. That's good. Uh, what else can we talk about before we get to the segment here? Extra Life. Oh, yeah. Extra Life. Let's do that. It's a, I am participating this year. For the first time. For you're going to be streaming time. live. Yep. Well, Doing it. Other than this show. Than this. Yeah. But this is just me talking. Are you nervous? Totally. Are you excited? Yeah, I am. Are you uh, sweating right now? Right now? <laughs> Always. <laughs> powder! I need powder! Uh, that's going to be really exciting. Who are you going to play? Are you going to play as Drunky Two Shoes? 
No. Oh, uh, you're opening it up. Yes. I'm actually playing a ranger. <gasps> oh, right. So here's my strategy. Okay. I'm actually going to play a character that I don't normally play. Mm-hmm. Because then I feel like it's okay for me to not know what the hell I'm doing. Of course. Like if I rolled in there, I'm like, I'm a wizard. And everyone's like, she always plays a wizard. And I'm like, what dice do I roll? How do I cast this spell? Then people are going to be like, oh my God, she doesn't know how to play. <laughs> Which is true for most of... That's not true. I'm, you second guess yourself a lot. Well, you I actually do. say the right answer 90% of the time. I do? You do. You're always like, is it the thing I'm supposed to be doing? And we're like, yes, you know the rules. Just, you got this. You got this. You got this. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to be a ranger. Well, the good thing about a ranger, too, is that you basically have two options. You either like shoot it with a bow right. or you try to track I feel like I'm it is. probably going to miss blowing things up with magic. You won't be able to do as much of that. That's true. But I get an animal? You could get an animal, a cute little kitty, perhaps. I Maybe get not. a drunky two-shoes. Well, I mean, that's kind of like slavery, so let's not go there. But you could have a – I mean, because the tabaxi is a, a sentient, you know, creature. That's not how I was Your animal companion is like, a, is like your, you know, like a pet, more, more well, akin to – Well, I was thinking to, of her like as a kitten. Oh, like yeah. Like a baby. I don't really want a cat. You know why? Because I have a cat in real life. Get something crazy like a mastodon. Or an elephant. That's what, that's what a mastodon a is. A pack elephant? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a trend here. Pack elephant? This was the last time you played with Drunky Two Shoes. You were like fighting for a pack elephant the whole I time. I had a pack elephant. You guys made me leave him in Cholt. And then he died. He didn't die. We haven't gone back yet. It's <laughs> so you're costing searching, me a fortune. You're searching for uh, Daryl Two Shoes and your elephant who is named... Jeebsy. Jeebsy. <laughs> These are very evocative names. Uh, yeah, all right, cool. Well, that's going to be super fun when you play in Extra Life on November so, 3rd, raising money for Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, you have a page. I have a page. Go loo it. You can, you can donate to my page. Donate to donate. the page. Donate. People have been very generous. I believe you're beating out Bart, right? I am, because he's, like, really bad at self promotion like you're not promoting you you're promoting helping kids exactly right don't talk about yeah. you talk about how everything is going to be benefiting Who doesn't help the, kids? the chitlins so it's just it's, it's you also have the same friends and so you're drawing from the same pool we are yeah my mom donated to his campaign last year and she was like uh-uh, i'm doing yours this year sorry bart sorry bart so he lost a big donor well he's gonna have to you know work on the charms for judy yeah and get some uh some good donations flowing in. You're playing, right? I uh, I'm playing as part of Critical uh, Clerical Air. Oh right, okay. And uh, yeah, you can donate to that page. I have a whole bunch of stuff on there that you can do. I think it's extralife.org/dnd. Find out everything you can there. You can also go to uh, uh, wizards uh, slash extralife Oh, okay. if you want to go to that. That's easy. One you can see the whole there. team, everybody playing on our team. That's right. Yeah, and there's all the schedule, everybody who's going to be playing. We're going to be starting off uh, on November 3rd, as I said, with three games here in the office. Then all of our stream games that week will be uh, supporting Extra Life, and then we'll be closing it out at Game Hall Con with some crazy, fun, uh, celebra- not celebrity, but like, you know, lar- large form games, including one that has, uh, I believe, Matt Mercer in it. Cool. We forgot to mention, and we were talking about it. But, uh, oh, well, well. Anyway. Easter egg. Good fun stuff hanging out. We have this this intro is full of Easter eggs, but it's not even Easter. It's fall. It's fall. So they're fall egg. pumpkin spice eggs. Yeah. Yeah. They're like 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just uh, Cadbury cream eggs, but no, those are Easter. But do they have a pumpkin spice version of them? Probably. There was definitely a pumpkin spice version of everything. Yeah. Including um, banana bread. No, I don't know. Oh, my God. Can I just tell you? There's yeah. some pumpkin tortilla chips at Trader Joe's right now. What? Get them. Get them while they're hot. Oh, my God. They're so good. Super cool. They're really good. You know what else you should get while it's hot is a podcast of Waterdeep. Listen to that on our Dungeon Delve yeah, uh, RSS feed. There's 10 episodes from a whole bunch of podcast live play uh, creators from the D&D community, uh, including uh, North by Northwest, Dragon Friends, Taking Initiative, The Broadswords, Venture Maidens, Jeez. Dungeon Drunks. Yep. You meet in a tavern. Drunks and Dragons. Whoa. And uh, uh, a couple of other awesome guest dungeon masters close it on out. It's a fantastic continuous storyline. Yeah, it's super great. Yeah, um, the entire thing is posted right now, so you can learn about what it's like to uh, adventure in Waterdeep uh, using some of the stuff that's in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I'll do that. Do it up. Doing it. All right, everybody. I think it's time to listen to a segment. We shall not keep the people waiting. We any shall longer. not. We shall not. And in this one is a special segment. We uh, have a lore you should know with not Chris Perkins, but with Mr. Ari Levich. Cool. Telling us all about some of the fun stuff that's happening in Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica. Good. So, Glad to see Ari yeah. getting some voice time. It's some good lore, uh, I have to tell you. He's full of lore. He's basically full of everything. He's full of it. Including Oozes lore. lore. <laughs> Comes out of his, him in a meeting today. That's why his beard is so lustrous, because yeah. there's all that lore over it. Oh, you're so glistening. <laughs> <laughs> well, before before you ruin your image of Ari, let's uh, let's listen to it. Right okay. Now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by a newcomer. To the first time here. That's yeah. right. Hey, Ari, how are you? I'm doing all right. Excited to talk about uh, some Ravnica and some of the uh, the bits in the uh, in the world. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, real quick, why don't you introduce yourself and what you, what you do here for the Dungeons and Dragons team? Yeah. So I'm I'm relatively new to the D and D team, uh, but. This month, I celebrated uh, five years as a wizard. Woo! So, yeah, I uh, was on Magic uh, doing world building for them. So this is a kind of a special a special uh, kind of a moment for me. Um, get to kind of uh, mix these, uh, these two things together. Uh, but on, on D&D, I am now a narrative designer. So I get to uh, ask Chris Perkins a lot of questions. Nice. And you've been working hard on Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Yes. Which is coming out uh, on November 20th, I think, everywhere. Is that true? I believe that's true. Okay, yeah. Um, I should have it pulled up. But uh, in honor of that impending release, we wanted to talk about uh, some of the guilds that are on that plane. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, what are, yeah, why don't you give us kind of an overview on what's going on in Ravnica? So you asked me to talk about uh, it was like two or four guilds going into this, and I think we settled on four. And I was like, there are 10 guilds. This is really hard. <laughs> so I need to figure out which ones I want to talk about. And so it got me thinking about how when we were doing world building, this was back on when I was on the Magic team, and they were gearing up to do the card set that's coming up. Um, we started doing a lot of thinking about the relationships between the guilds and how, um, how guilds kind of relate to one another. And we started uh, coming, noticing that there are these uh, kind of dichotomies that exist in the t- with the 10 guilds. Mm. And you can kind of break it down by kind of, if you look at 
different, you know, two sides of a coin. You could start looking at the different guilds and how uh, each one kind of is a face of the same coin. And so I chose two of these, <coughs> excuse me, two of these uh, dichotomies to really explore. And so one of them is uh, this dichotomy of that the two guilds are the Silesnia and the Golgari. Okay. And these two guilds are all about um, kind of... Uh, they're, Let's start with one of them. Let's go with oh, sure. what's uh, – uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, Ravnica is a city-based plane with yeah. – uh, the, whole, the whole power structure is centered in these ten organizations, which are called guilds, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a whole uh, world-spanning uh, city. And yeah, uh, like you said, the whole thing is broken down uh, into, uh, into these ten guilds. And these guilds aren't necessarily about like the territory they occupy. It's not like this is the Selesnia part of town. Mm. All ten guilds are, are present all over this, all throughout the city. Uh, what really kind of characterizes them is uh, their worldview, their philosophy. Oh. And so people aren't born into these guilds. The, uh, the guilds recruit or people just join, join the guilds based on, on, on their worldview. Um, okay, so they're almost like 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 uh, uh, opt-in religions in a way. Yeah, kind of. It's funny because the Selesnia is actually the closest, one of the closest to a religion. There are two kind of more uh, religious-oriented guilds, and the Selesnia is one of them. Okay, cool. Uh, so thank you for for that lead-in. No problem. Yeah. yeah. So what what what's uh, Selesnia all about? So in a kind of in a world-spanning city, um, it could be very easy to not have anything that is that is natural or anything that is uh, anything that is green. Mm-hmm. And the Selesnia uh, really advocate this notion that society, civilization, actually, and and nature can can live together. Um, and so they kind of live at that kind of cross section uh, or that the crossroads of those two two elements. But their big thing is how they want to have see uh, society organized. They are very much a um, communal. Uh, Communal guild, they believe that you know the greater good is more important than the the needs of the individual. So when you join mm. the Slesnia, it is all about kind of joining something that is larger than yourself. Interesting. Is there a like a cult like uh, figurehead at the top of this guild? It, not necessarily a cult. Well, I guess it's all point of view. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the the all the guilds have a guild master, uh-huh. and the guild master of the uh, of the Slesnia is a um, is a dryad that has that has um, basically three bodies, three bodies that all connect together in like a trunk. Um, so, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it, 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 she's a dryad that has uh, kind of three, three bodies that embody um, three element aspects of, of the Selesnia, which is harmony, life, and, and order. Um, when you and, say three bodies, is it three separate bodies, or is it like a like you said, is a dryad that it's it's one entity? It's it is a one central entity, like a central trunk, like a tree, uh-huh. and then it branches out into three three like torso and up uh, dryad bodies. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. It's, is it fixed or can it move? Uh, it is. It, it can move. It, it could it could move, but it it stays usually in um, something called the uh, something called V two Gazi, which mm. is the city tree of the Selesnia. And it is there that the whole, all of the Selesnia, um kind of try to follow the will of the world soul, and it's known as Mat Selesnia, which is what where the guild derives its name. Okay. Yeah. So this entity that you're talking about that is the guild master is a tree. More or less. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is, uh, yeah, no, it is a, um, yeah, a multifaceted uh, tree-like entity. Uh, yeah, a, a dryad. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you said it does, does it have three heads? It does. Three bodies. Yeah, three torsos and up. Yeah. And do the three uh, different heads have different personalities? They do. They do. And um, 
most of the time they are um, they are in sync with one another, all kind of advocating the will of Matsalesnia. Mm. Um, where this book kind of opens, uh, where uh, Guildmaster's Guide Guild to Ravnica. Guide, yeah, um, it kind of takes place. If you were, if those of you who are uh, fans of the card game, um, this takes place right after the events of the previous time we were in Ravnica. Okay, uh, so. Um, as a lot of the, all the guildmasters are the same as uh, from that time period, but things are getting a little precarious in the city, mm. and so we're seeing pretty much for the first time that Tristani, who usually speaks essentially in one voice, all three of these kind of uh, beings speaking in one voice, um, they're actually uh, there's some discord between them. So there's a, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of uh, I guess disharmony. Wow. Yeah. Which is pretty much against what the guild is all about. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, so it's essentially it's going to have to be, you know, this is this is one of the possible seeds for an adventure um, or kind of a larger campaign is reconciling uh, uh, this potential issue. Do do the three parts of this guildmaster have their own names and do they have their own followers? Like is it almost like are there now factions no, it, within it's, this? It's more like um, just following uh, it is less a cult of personality uh, and more uh, trying to always follow just the will of the world soul itself and mm. being connected to nature in a way that other guilds uh, or the way they would see that other guilds are not. Is the discord coming from uh, different interpretations of what that soul is saying? Uh, potentially. Yeah. yeah it, it, potentially that thing. It, it is basically very much that um, the whole kind of premise of Ravnica is that it is bound uh, by the magic of this uh, of the guild pact, which is basically this this treaty that forces these ten guilds to be in balance with one another. Mm. Uh, through the events that have happened on Ravnica, this the power of the guild pact has been uh, imbued inside of an individual, and this person is Jace Balaren. Mm. Jace, however, is a planeswalker, and he's one of those individuals who could actually travel from plane to plane. And as he's dealing with things that are, are problems that are larger than one world. He, he has left behind uh, a, a, the world of Ravnica that is, in, is very much in need of that balancing force. And I so see. kind of now the guilds are left to their own devices to uh, kind of figure that out. I get it. All right. So what did the rank and file of the Selesnian kind of, kind of feel like? So the Selesnia are kind of a kind of flatter organization than many of the, uh, <laughs> the other guilds. Um, They're the valve of uh, yeah, guilds? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and... They, uh, they basically, instead of having tons of ranks because uh, they're very much a communal organization, they'll have, different special, they'll have specialized roles. And so uh, you might have people that are evangels who go out and try to recruit for, uh, for the Slesnia. Mm. Um, but Slesnia aren't just kind of a bunch of uh, kind of hippie communists. They also understand that to, to survive in a place like Ravnica, you have to gird yourself for conflict. And so... Uh, Patrolling uh, Selesnia, like uh, Selesnia grounds, are uh, individuals called Ledev Guardians, and Ledev Guardians are wolf riding knights. Ooh. Or there might be Equinauts, who uh, are uh, kind of like air cavalry who ride on on Pegasi. What? And yeah, that's and, super uh, cool. Yeah, and um, so or you might be um, a a votary who is d- uh, d- designated to protecting one of the um, these temple gardens that uh, that the Selesnia used to worship at. Wow. Yeah. All right. So I want to ride a wolf. Yeah, that's actually kind of the big draw is like, okay, where, where do I sign up to ride a wolf? That's, that's the guild I'm going to play. Right. So. And then the riding Pegasi is yeah. always like yeah. super cool. I had a whole D&D campaign that like got found a flock of, of, of Pegasi early on in our career. And I was like. It's time to dig it up again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And we can just be our a little cavalry, mounted cavalry yep. to come in. 
I dig that. Uh, but I also like that they're they're you know fighting for this kind of harmony between urban and you know natural. I mean, that's yeah, a very... it's, it's not at odds to them that these things kind of coexist. That it is it is people's job to uh, maintain part of nature um, and also you know to build a city that accommodates the natural world and also uh, curb the natural world where it might become too too intrusive. Very cool. Yeah. And are there different races in, uh, you know, th- this sounds very elvish. Yeah. So elves are a prominent part of, of, the, uh, of the guild. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you, if you uh, who want to map the, the different elf sub-races uh, from D&D, we actually, it actually fits very, very well on, on Ravnica. Okay. And, and uh, some of the guilds I'm going to talk about actually encompass or, or actually uh, are where those, those elves would, would be uh, – Best fits. So the Le- Celestia would be the wood, el- oh, wood elves. Okay, yeah. wood elves. All right. Yeah. Uh, so you could imagine, um, you know, quick-footed rangers, uh, you know, leaping from roof to roof and kind of uh, making sure that uh, that the Celestia evangels are well protected as they go on their duty and things like that. So, Very cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And the the to, personally the most fun race that is most associated with the Celestia are the uh, the Luxodon. And Luxodons are, Luxodon. yeah, the um, the human the humanoid elephant people, and uh, Babar, essentially. Yeah, Babar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I hadn't considered that before, but yes, it is the Babar race, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're just they are a ton of fun, and um, you're gonna be able to do things uh, with with that race that other races don't have, like they have they have a trunk. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, and you can pick things up with it. It's yes. like basically like a mage hand with a, you know, five foot or, you know, three yeah. foot radius. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's pretty cool. So. Uh, great. Well, I didn't realize they were uh, associated with Eslesnia. Is that just because of their, like, inherent nature? Yeah, they, they, they tend to be calmer. They tend to be kind of more introspective and it just really lends themselves, they lend themselves to, uh, uh, to what the Selesnia actually offer. And they will often serve as emissaries and as evangels. Is, and the, the rules for being a Loxodon are in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica? Yes, they are. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, can you be an elephant man pegasi rider? Uh, I don't know what the load-bearing capacity is in Pegasus, <laughs> but... Uh, That's the correct answer. <laughs> I would say, uh, if, if it was at my table, uh, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, all right, let's move on to the Golgari. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about kind of the notion of the dichotomy uh, of that you could actually like see all the guilds like one against another. Um, it's really interesting to look at the way the Golgari would look at the Selesnia. So the Selesnia venerate life, and they they value all things that grow. And the Golgari, who actually, so let me back up a little bit. Uh, Ravnica is you know it's a city, it's this plain spanning city. But it's also been around for millennia, which means it has built on top of, you know, layers and layers and layers and layers. So what you see on the surface, like the streets that most people live on, mm-hmm. um, only occupies a small fraction of what Ravnica is. Beneath the streets is this whole vast undercity. And one of the guilds that really kind of occupies that space uh, are the Golgari. Oh, okay. And so the Golgari... Uh, would, would look at the Selesnia and look at their kind of their worship of life as kind of naive, that they're only getting half of the picture. Mm. The Golgari see life and death as a cycle, and they're kind of just kind of, or almost it's life and death are part of a spectrum. Mm. Um, and that you can kind of, 
exist or uh, or appreciate all parts of of that. And um, the Golgari, it was really interesting going back to the world building part uh, when I was on the Magic team. The Golgari were one of the guilds that got the biggest kind of redesign visually. Okay. Um, there was it was really hard to get a um, a guild that was very much about living in kind of the sewers and in in this undercity and make them uh, visually appealing in a way that wasn't you know kind of gross or grubbing in in muck. Yeah. And so uh, when we were doing the redesign this time around, we really leaned into this idea that this is kind of a kingdom beneath the street, beneath the feet of the people on Ravnica. That this is really the the place that. You know, people aren't quite sure what it might look like or how you even get to Golgari territory. Once you're there, it's this kind of otherworldly, kind of beautiful place. Um, but if you look closer, it's also a place made of fungus and made of things that you most people might, you know, shy away from or right. be, or might, you know that might make them recoil. Um, but they embrace this entire cycle of life and death. And so when we looked at them, we wanted to create this kind of unseelie court. The sense of royalty and nobility that there is this whole order of civilization beneath the streets of, of what most Ravnikans would understand as their city. Very cool. Yeah. So are they uh, like recyclers in a way? Like yeah. Do they take what you know what was once alive and then figure out how to use those those bare you know resources again. Yep. They will do that. Um, they will also you know they will raise they will raise zombies with the kind of uh, oh. that have like a, more of a, like a fungal take to them that they have these different uh, spores that will animate the dead. Um, we got a glimpse of them with the um, Circle of Spores Druid. Right. Um, yeah. When that, that was, was released on uh, uh, Unearthed Arcana yeah. a few months ago before we'd even announced Ravnica. And we're going to see it in print. I hope I'm allowed to say that. But yes. We are going to see it in print. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so that's going to really, uh, that really captures their sense of death isn't something, you know, it's so weird to think of necromancy and dealing with death as something that a Druid would ever do. Mm. But, from the Golgari perspective, that death is just kind of a part of the cycle of life, that it is a natural thing, and therefore, you know, raising dead is just – these are just more tools that, that they could – they get to use. This mm-hmm. is more things they, could, they can appreciate in, in, in the natural world. Um, uh, so much so that there are even liches among, among the Golgari. There are oh, – wow. um, so there are elves in the Golgari as well as the Celestia, and this is where we get kind of the, the drow kind of analog – Oh, I see. Yeah, the dark elf, and uh, but they—it's um, very, very powerful uh, uh, magic users in in the Golgari will become liches, um, and that is that is just in fact right now their their guildmaster uh, Gerard is is himself a lich. I see. Yeah. All right, and in he a uh, has he been guildmaster for a long time? Um, not a super long time, uh, but uh, he has been for a few decades, and. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with him. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what, what's, his, what's his personality like? Uh, so uh, Gerard is uh, like like the elves of the Golgari uh, has ambitions um, to uh, uh, to pursue his own kind of his own aims. So it's interesting. Just to go back to the, to what makes the Golgari different than the Selesnia mm-hmm. um, is that the Selesnia is very, they're very communal in uh, in their own in their own way, right? It's a very flat organization. Personal ambition doesn't really factor into it a ton. The Golgari, however, are very much in in the sense of cycling. Will um, their leadership will often cycle out as well? So you have a lot of oh. ambitious individuals who uh, will who might kind of assassinate their way to the top or kind of use political maneuvering to push their opponents out. And so 
the Golgari organization is very much a, um, it can be pretty cutthroat at times, I see. but in a way that natural world is too. So, Okay. So the, it's a survival of the fittest yeah, kind of it, idea. Yeah. Okay. And that's where Gerard has, 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 has been. He has and, positioned himself that way. Yeah. His sister uh, previously uh, ran the guild as well. Oh, okay. And so there's some uh, familial ties there. Um, is she still around or no longer with us? She's not. She's not around. Uh, uh, but Sorry, they, she, her, her life force is being re- recycled. As yeah, we, presumably. Uh, yeah. Um, and there, um, they had taken over from. There was a, a trio of uh, of Medusas, or in the in the magic uh, uh, terminology, uh, three Gorgons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, they've had more churn in their leadership than any other guild in recent memory. Anyway, okay, makes sense. What are what are the uh, you know more, as I said, more rank and file uh, folks of the Golgari? Uh, so they have you know they'll, they'll have their their shamans and druids. Um, which may manifest as druids, you know, a circle of spores, or there may be uh, there might be uh, wizards who are who are necromancers, that kind of a thing. Um, there are, in terms of just uh, roles in the guild, there are what there are people people called find brokers, which will, uh, as things kind of make their way down into the into the sewers or into the undercity, they're the ones that will find things of value. So they might find, you know, magic items. They might find, tre- you know, just actual wealth and treasure down there. They might, fi- might find corpses that have floated their way down there and Ooh, so on. Okay. Yeah. So um, like ultimate scavengers. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're scavengers that way. There are people that will um, – so the Golgari aim in the – they have kind of the longest view of things of all the guilds because they see things as all institutions, both physical ones and, uh, you know, physical edifices and – kind of uh, just the institutions of society, those will all crumble away at some point. Mm. So they're basically doing this attrition game. And to do that, sometimes they will send out agents to kind of speed things along a a little bit. So they (laughs) might send out assassins to kill key figures to create more um, instability. Or they might send up these reclaimers who will prepare a, a part of the surface for reclamation. So they might send out these like spores and things to start uh, infesting an area to get mm. it prepared for when, for when it is time for the Golgari to it's when it's when it's the Golgari age essentially. Oh, is that what they're trying to perpetuate the go, the age of the Golgari? Yeah, and and it to them it's a, it's an inevitability. This is mm. going to happen, and it's it's more about yeah when speeding it along. Yeah, yeah. All right, is that true for? All the other guilds? Or like, is everyone trying to be like, all right, this is where we're going to be ascendant, or is this just a Golgari thing? Uh, th- that's a Golgari thing. Uh, some of the, some guilds have those kinds of ambitions. Others don't. I, I think um, for... for like the, Selesnia doesn't sound like one that would care about... They don't, I don't think they see it as the age of, like, this is when the guild itself will be the dominant one. But they do, I think, imagine an age where everybody turns to the will of Mount Selesnia, mm. that, they're, that, that they live in harmony. And the way to achieve harmony is to kind of essentially be, be for the greater good in that way. Uh, right. But I don't think every guild is, is that way. Um, like, I don't think the Rakdos, um, who are essentially a hedonistic performance art you know, <laughs> uh, cult, uh, I, don't, I don't think that they see that this is the age of, of Rakdos. Um, they right. live too moment to moment for any of those kind of ambitions. Sweet. All right. Yeah. Well, anything else on that Golgari? Um, the Golgari, uh, I, yeah, I, I just I find them so fascinating in what they do in in a D and D type setting, um, especially a city world like this. So, when you have a, a a world like Ravnica, where you could have these kind of noir style adventures and a lot of intrigue, uh, 
uh, the Golgari are one of those guilds that allow if you want to, if you want to position them as your campaign villain, they allow for a dungeon delve. Mm. They they open up. You could make the Undercity as deep as you want it to go, and you could have the Golgari with you know with there are trolls that are affiliated with with the Golgari. There are these these insectoid uh, soldiers known as the Crawl that serve the Golgari or serve with the Golgari, and so you, there are so many. Uh, places where you could take the comforts of civilization out of the hands of your of the players mm-hmm. and you could really get, in, get uh, kind of dig into uh, really uh, it just offers that that part of Ravnica that other guilds don't it's like the the actual true dungeon delve makes sense yeah cool all right well I'm excited to learn more about these guilds in uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica uh, when it comes out in November um, and uh, I believe it will be in game stores on November 9th and everywhere else November 20th. Uh, so you can look for more of that. But we'll, in the meantime, I'm we'll taking be... your word for it. I don't actually remember the dates. Those are, I think that's it. Okay. And then we shall uh, be revisiting a couple more of these guilds uh, to learn more about it uh, as the fall goes on here yeah. on Where You Should Know. So thanks a lot, Ari. Yeah, actually, before I go, yeah. can I actually just uh, brag about the, uh, the dice? Yes. Okay. So uh, I'm really excited about the uh, the dice for Guildmaster's Guide. Uh, it comes with this sweet, uh, this sweet tin. Oh, it's a sweet yeah. circular tin, about three inches tall. Uh, almost looks like a cake pan, but like a small bunt bunt. Mm-hmm. But it's got it's basically got the seal of the of the guilds on here. Uh huh. And the coolest thing uh, is this uh, this D10. Yeah. That uh, if you ever need to. Um, Roll randomly, like what what guild you encounter or anything like that. This uh, enables you to do it, and each each face of the D10 is uh, another guild another guild symbol. That's so, so cool, yeah. and it's an oversized D10, yeah. so yeah. Uh, about the size of what like an oversized D20 okay. would look like. We'll compare uh, it, which is very. So here's cool. a regular D10. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I can't wait for uh, yeah. uh, for people to check out this uh, the dice, which I think are going to be out around the same time as the book. So yeah, yeah, look for it in game stores then. All right. Uh, very cool. How can people uh, find you, uh, uh, whether on Twitter or ask you questions about uh, which guild they should play? So uh, I am at Winamall um, on Twitter, and I have sadly been pretty quiet on Twitter, but uh, I'm, I'm working to be better at that. Now's the time to wrap Now's it up. Now's the time. Now's the time. So if you have questions, you can kind of force me out of my solitude, and I will, uh, I will answer <laughs> questions. A fortress of solitude is yeah, not yeah. a good uh, social media platform. No, no. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm at Greg Tito. Feel free to ping me uh, with any questions as well, and I'll uh, walk over to Ari's desk and ask. Great. All right. Well, thank you, Ari Levich, for, for coming by. and uh, absolutely uh, my pleasure. Telling us all, and we'll be back with more Lori Chanel next week. Wasn't it so interesting listening to Ari, like, wax poetic about the guilds of Ravnica? Yes. I learned so much. Me too. I know everything about uh, the Golgari and the other guild that we talked about. <laughs> 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 uh, the Selesnia. Dun, 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 dun. Good I one. I get a, a prize. All right. Uh, I also have uh, two prizes coming our way because we have two awesome guests that we get to Ooh, listen to. Mr. Jim Zub and Patrick Rothfuss, who we will listen to right about now. Hello. We have uh, Jim Zub. Hello. Hello. And Mr. Patrick Rothfuss. Howdy. How's it going? I'm doing well. We are... Uh, we are rocking and rolling. How are you guys? I'm too so caffeinated, excited. I think. I think that's what Not I- caffeinated. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to drink all this. I'm very excited, and I'm glad I didn't know that these were our guests until like an hour ago. 
Because I would have been a little nervous. I think I would have been a little nervous. You think so? But look what I did. Prep. <laughs> On graph paper, no less. Never. With oh, my oh. with my D&D pencil. Nice. Oh, wow. uh, so we are talking to you guys because you wrote the uh, uh, series of the Rick and Morty and Dungeons & Dragons crossover comic book series um, from IDW. And uh, it's the first issue came out uh, two weeks ago. Is that right? I think three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. God, has it been that long? Time. Yeah. Canadian time. It's Canadian <laughs> no, time was. three weeks ago. <laughs> it, was, it was when I was at PAX. I forgot. I, I was on the road for those two weeks. Yeah. Crazy. So well, how long was this process? When did you guys know you were going to start this? And, and, and how long did it take? Well, first off, it's not just Rick and Morty and Dungeons & Dragons. It's Rick and Morty versus Dungeons & Dragons. It's true. It is, a, it is conflict. In full effect, <laughs> it's uh, it's good stuff. Um, the process uh, uh, started over well over a year ago. Yeah. Uh, wow. When were you first contacted about it, Pat? I remember it at some point. It was last year, and and I was I I kind of told them it's like, boy, I would love to. You probably don't want to work with me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And, and That's the ringing endorsement of Pat Rothfuss right there. That's I try it. to lead off all potential collaborations that way, just so everyone really, like, later on when they're like, Pat, you're, you're f- this up. I'm like, I told you. I told, I told you. you didn't want this. Um, <laughs> um, it's also a great way to start your relationships, everyone. Just, you know, extra little piece of advice there. Yeah. When you meet, when you meet someone this. new, you'd be like, I'm going to mess everything up. You're going to hate me so much. <laughs> I can only improve your expectations from here. Exactly. Um, yeah, it started so at I, the bottom. I'm pretty sure it was Emerald City Comic Con last year. Uh, the Oni Press people and the IDW people, uh, two wonderful comic publishers, they were out for dinner. And I, I don't know if libations were flowing, but they were sort of like, what about crossovers between our crazy companies? What kind of things could we do? And someone at the table said, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons. And everyone laughed and then it just stuck in in their craw and they couldn't they couldn't let it go um and the discussion just sort of rolled from there i've been uh writing the um the official D comic for idw since fifth edition launched mm-hmm. and so literally the next day uh sarah gatos came to me she's editor at uh at idw at the time and she said, this came up during a discussion. Would it be something that you're interested in? And I was like, yeah, of course, but it'll never happen. <laughs> like this will, this will never, you can't get this through the corporate filter. What like, did you think? Because like wizards would say it would never happen or? I, uh, I sort of both like adult swim, you know, it would be, wouldn't necessarily be on board and, and Wizards of the coast would sort of be baffled. I mean, the Rick and Morty, <laughs> it, it's intense, right? Like it, you know, and, and, we were going to do this. We would have to go for the throat. Like we really wanted <laughs> to do this crazy. Uh, so I said, sure, but this will never happen. And then months would go by and they would tell me, no, no, we're making headway. And I was like, sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> and just continually sort of putting, uh, putting it off in this sense of some faraway thing we would talk about years from now and go, man, that would have been cool. It almost, it almost came together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it just sounded like that kind of pie in the sky sort of project, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but we're in a, we live in a new world of crazy uh, synergies that could not have existed, you know, any other time. I think pop culture 
fandom is in a whole new level now. And, and people realize that, that the stuff that would have previously, I think just been like fan fiction is now ripe for, uh, for the attack, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think it's also, it's also speaks really highly of, um, uh, of, of Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards because there's sort of a traditional business model. I, I think there, there's kind of two things going on here. One of them is, uh, watch this. I'm going to relate this to like what happened in the Middle Ages with the rise of the aristocracy and then the fall of the aristocracy. <laughs> <laughs> Come along with me on a, on a magical ride. Professor <laughs> Rothfuss, tell us all. Here, here it comes. Weirdest analogy you'll hear today. I'll, I'll take notes. Um, you know, what happened is like the landed gentry kind of started to lose a lot of their power and their money. Uh, and you had the rise of like this new money the, the merchant class. Right. And um, the two traditionally, like they didn't want to get along, but they both had something that the other person wanted. Right. The, uh, the new, the, the merchants had the money, but the aristocracy had like, sort of credibility and power and longevity. And they knew sort of like what to do with some of these things. And uh, so typically what happened is um, a noble house that had gotten real poor, somebody would marry into a merchant house where somebody had gotten real rich. And it was sort of like a little bit of chocolate in the peanut butter, um, not to make it weird, but... (laughs) We have a question uh, about that. Yeah, we do. Exact <laughs> phrase later. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> but similarly, you have Rick and Morty, which is like, it's the new big thing. It is the flavor of the day. It is the hot shit. Um, <laughs> but, and what's D&D? D&D is the thing that has been around forever and that people have loved. And it is a, it is a property and a product that has been lovingly curated by people who adore it for literally decades, which in terms of gaming and fantasy is almost as long as history exists, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, for, for effectively 40 years that's been going on. And so I think for one Dungeons and Dragons is really smart because in this analogy, they're the nobles. We're the poor nobles though. The, to no. be clear, we're the poor noble house, no. <laughs> and, and and not and not poor nobles. Right? Like, this isn't a perfect analogy, <laughs> but really, you guys like Dungeons and Dragons is like sort of this beloved, you sort know, of. monolith of of like it's it was the beginning, it's the alpha and the omega of gaming, and so what they should be doing traditionally is you hunker down, you protect your land. If anybody, like, does anything that looks a little like D&D, you sue their asses, right? You sue their asses from the ground. Like, and, like, think about the Tolkien estate. That was the reputation that the Tolkien estate had for a long, long time. And honestly, it hasn't changed that much. It's it's an aggressive, defensive stance because this is all you're ever going to have is this thing, and so you protect it viciously. Now, this is to speak really highly of D&D because they are not doing that. Right. And right now, like a critical role starts up and they're like, hey, we made a r- world. Hey, we have a show. Hey, we, we're doing a book. And what D&D 
did not do is come in with the cease and desist. Why? Because despite the fact that they are sort of the old landowners here, they are not mired in this really retrograde manner of thinking. And they're like, hey, everyone, like, it's great. Come play. Literally come play. (laughs) And everyone benefits from it. And And I think that's what's so that's what's so incredible about it is everyone involved in this process has been so open and excited. And rather than all those, I mean, we get to take normally you do a parody and you have to file all the serial numbers off because you can't use the real terminology. You can't use the real titles. And instead, everyone welcomed this crazy monstrosity with open arms and said, make fun, have a good time, tear into all the little bits and crazy things about D&D and show it off, you know, warts and all, because that's what we all love about it. That's what the fandom loves about it, too. Right, right. Yeah. And there was, I mean, I think there was a shift. I mean, it was like right around when I got here. Oh. You were here much longer. It was you, Tito. It was not me. I, I, just, I might have been the, a drop in the hat that, that pushed it towards the streaming. <laughs> it was and, you and that doing just stuff. stopped paying attention. Like, I just didn't ask. Like, oh, wait, what's happening? Yeah. I was just like, that I'm was just... your job. You were supposed to protect the land. I know. Shelly had this podcast. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to get into this podcast and mess it all up and invite and people now we're, in. Like, and we're like talking about D&D and stuff. You know, and, and there, were, there were times where we were talking to uh, you know other creators in the RPG space and they'd be like, is it okay if I talk? about other games i'm like yeah, yeah of course it's all i mean it's all part of the the, the yeah. community yeah, i think everyone gets afraid they get really worried about right because they're used to the to the tolkien estate kind of idea i just assumed this was going to be this real corporate uh pain in the butt and instead the pain in the butt has been us because we're <laughs> perfectionists and we're we're going to make troy little our glorious glorious artistic uh collaborator we're just going to ruin him with yeah. uh, the amount of insane stuff he has to draw. I think yeah. it looks like he had a lot of fun, though, with it. Oh, it, I'm amazed. <laughs> he still, his morale is still high. We're, <laughs> we haven't broken him yet. So once, I, think he's, go ahead. I think he's playing it real cool until he gets to be in, in the same room with me. <laughs> and, then, and then we're going to have like a Baron Harkonnen situation where he's going he's gonna to use his poison tooth to finally bring me down. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make sure you never are in the same place. That's right. (laughs) So going back to the... There's some stuff in there that that, as as we're pulling together the script, I'm just sitting there thinking, if I was the artist and I read this, I would be so mad. I would (laughs) just be so mad. I'm like, what if we had like two dozen kobolds? Like, what if there was just more of the thing? How you know? Yeah. Right. I just someday hope to show off because with the third, with the third issue, like seeing how how you turn some of what I loosely refer to as scripts into like real scripts. It's really like <laughs> a, it's, it's sort of a it's sort of a, a fire hose of stuff. It's a stuff. It's great. It's all amazing. And I'm just reading and reading and I'm like, there are panels here. I got to figure them out. It's wild. It's so really how did good. the process work? I mean, because yeah. I know a lot of people uh, uh, who are listening now may not realize. And I, I was one of them, you know, a few years ago when someone was trying to talk to me about how comic books were made. I, I didn't even realize there was a script. I didn't realize that it was in the same vein uh, of sequential art that like right. uh, screenplays are. So when you guys were, were, were putting together the words for this, how did how did you begin? How did how did the process well, work? Stan Lee just cries out Excelsior and then it just happens. <laughs> 
Really <laughs> bursts fully formed from Troy's little forehead. All that happens. He just he gets really excited, and the ghost of Jack Kirby just appears, and stuff starts happening. No, um, it's <laughs> it, it, it is a, a, an interesting process where it is a script. So there are two different types. There's sort of you can do scripts that are more sort of broad and formative, and then the artist draws a bunch of panels, and then you come in and dialogue it at the end. But we're both uh, we both uh, Pat and I are more kind of controlling than that. So the full script is the norm, honestly, for most of the comics that come out nowadays. So you're writing a page by page and in many cases, panel by panel breakdown. Here's the visual moments we need to portray. Here are the expressions of the characters described. Here's the setting where they are. Here's the dialogue as close to final as we can get it uh, so that the artist can leave room for it. Or in our case, hate themselves as they try and leave room for it. Um, and then they send thumbnail roughs of how the paneling is all going to break down. And then we'll sort of uh, talk back and forth about adjustments that can be made or ways to improve. And the artist is also figuring out where they might be able to combine panel concepts or which panels. Almost every page is going to have a larger sort of visual moment or something that anchors the rest of the scene. And we talk about how that's best going to work. Um, and then the stuff gets taken through to final line art. And at the same time that they're doing lettering proofs, it's being colored and, and finalized. And in the case of something like this, you also have an extensive editorial process because you have multiple license holders. You have, uh, you know, two writers, three editors and, uh, a partridge in a pear tree kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, what I send is a script sort of in the same way that like it looks more like a uh, like a play where yeah. it, it, it says you know you know uh, summer angrily you know <laughs> or Morty you know throwing his hands into the air um, you know where there's like almost stage direction for most of the lines um, and I knew I, I know that that isn't it doesn't translate well unless you're doing something where like every time somebody speaks, they have their own panel, which isn't good comics. Right. Um, it would actually translate much better to like a television format, um, which is probably like, I've done a little more reading and participating in the production of scripts in that direction. Um, uh, but then when, when Jim brings it back and then I also, I, I try to like leave room for him to play or to be completely frank, to leave them, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like here's here's a bit. It's like now, 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 now an adventure thing happens. Can you do this? Because I'm empty. I got no idea. That was that was my favorite part of of uh, I think it's script three where it just says and the adventure part. And I was like, right, the adventure part of the. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we also built the story together, like so, at, right from the get go. And this is how I knew it was it was going to work. Whatever mad science or however much gray hair I was going to get by the end of this process, um, when Pat started talking about it, he said sort of like a mission statement, and he said, "Look, people think that Dungeons and Dragons is about killing monsters and getting gold, but it's not. It's about coming together." as a group to, to, you know, collaborate and tell a story together and, and, you know, 
learn things about ourselves through the game, you know? Mm. And he says, uh, people think that Rick and Morty is just like nihilistic violence and, and, you know, uh, uh, ridiculousness, but it's not. It's about a series of, of broken people trying to figure out how to live with each other. And I was like, oh, we are both kind of keying into these broader sort of thematic things. And as much as this will be a fun story and a silly story and, uh, you know, tweaking the nose and elbowing in the ribs of both these properties, we can actually do something more emotional. And some of the things that are most amazing about Rick and Morty, when you watch it or rewatch it, are some of those unexpected emotional bits and, and getting beneath the surface and really digging in on this, the, the characters and their personalities. And so as soon as that kind of came through the pipeline, whatever else was going to happen, I was like, well, I, we just got to get this runaway train to go in that direction and it's going to work. And thankfully, again, everyone involved in the process kind of believes in that as well, that we are doing this on those sort of two levels. Like you can just read this and it's a violent, silly, ridiculous story that makes fun of Dungeons and Dragons as much as it warmly holds it to its bosom. Mm. But it also is this, you know, story about what is great about D and D and the things that it, it does to empower all of us and why we all love it so much. And the same thing with Rick and Morty, it is those ridiculous characters and they're awful and they say and do terrible things to each other, but it's also their broken ways of trying to communicate and be a family. And I think that that's in the long run, it, it, you know, when, if we're able to stick the landing on the fourth issue and everyone reads it and gets out of it what we want, that's, that's kind of the core. That's why it, it, it is what it is, you know. That's really great. I mean, I feel like that's uh, the thing I'm always trying to tell people who don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons uh, that, you know, it's not about, you know, people always ask about the dice or, you know, sure. what if I don't know about what character I'm going to be or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ah, you know, it doesn't matter. It's about getting together with your friends and then yep. you figure out those things that those are just a framework for the, uh, the, the stories that you're going to tell together. And that's, exactly. that's what's really important. We- collaboratively are going to do something that we couldn't do as individuals. And we all don't know where it's going to go, but we couldn't have gotten there unless we did it together. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, what means so much about D and D to me and has meant so much about it ever since I started playing when I was like eight years old right? and why it sticks with me so much. You know, uh, uh, when I went into the office and hung out with you guys in October and we were brainstorming on upcoming coolness, um, <laughs> I, uh, I really had this moment where we were all sitting around talking about D&D in the D&D office. And I'm like, oh, man, this is my tribe so bad. Like, this is, so <laughs> this is everything I wanted, you know, role playing to be and gaming the people and the, and the camaraderie that comes from it, the emotional quality to it. It's uh, it's the best. We even have the jackets. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I gave Jim one of the Demogorgon uh, jackets. Oh, nice. like, oh you, you put it on. I was like, oh, my God, this you is really perfect for you. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's ridiculous. And then Pat having that same warmth around gaming. You know, we would have Skype calls and just trying to stay on target with our original goals for the phone call and just going off in the weeds, talking about all the things we love about the game and, and our experiences in it. Just like anytime you get together with gamers and you can't help but you know, tell a hundred little anecdotes and, and fun memories. Right. So how, how did you two, like, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't really know how comic books get, 
how you write sure. them. But so do right. you, you think of that you conceive the whole series before you yeah, start? Comics out? are different, very different from prose in, in, and even film in some ways, because generally speaking, the format is very set. It's, it's more like episodic television in the sense you've got whatever with mm-hmm. commercials, you've got 21 minutes plus the opener and the stinger and all that stuff. So you know exactly how many pages you're supposed to have, Pat. You know how many pages you're supposed to have. <laughs> Page, you know, we were, know. Issue, issue three was your fault. You've already admitted that. On, <laughs> on the so we were supposed to have 20 pages per issue. And uh, so uh, we had a real set format. So when I lay it out and when we talked about the story, we're like, okay, here's the amount of story material we need to cover. Here's all the things that need to happen to make the story go mechanically. Here are the scenes that are required in order to play those dramatic moments out. Therefore, I have this many pages to do this scene and this many pages to do this scene. And it seems like it should be very structured. And usually it is. Um, And then uh, Pat would run with it in these amazing ways and come up with even more grandiose, crazy dialogue and little turns uh, that enhanced all of it. And we've just the editors and I, we were sitting down with some of this stuff and we were like, man, we don't want to lose a line because it's all so good. <laughs> and I'm bridging stuff and trying to make sure it all fits. And we built this wonderful thing together. And then I'm, I'm finding myself, you know, begging my editors for, oh, can we just have an extra page or two? Oh, can we just, you know, it'll work even better. I'll go and to the you- factory and tape in an extra page uh-huh. in each issue. Yeah, you can't do that normally in, <laughs> in, uh, in corporate comics. And because it's not just me, it's also Troy and it's the letterer and it's the colorist and it's the deadline. And 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 then I said, but look, it's Pat Rothfuss. What is a deadline? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh. oh, man. No, twist twist no, in the knife. Wow. Say I say it lovingly. You know that. You know that. <laughs> Book three is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> direct direct all inquiries to, uh, to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take no, it. But, but honestly, if it wasn't so... And everyone just broke. I, it's kind of this thing now where I feel like I, I've uh, seen a new light where there are no page counts. Um, <laughs> what do page but, counts even I, mean anymore in the digital sense? It's so amazing. Uh, no, but we, so we really do have so much awesome material. And um, that's why uh, with each issue, it creeps uh, into, into amazing new page counts. Um, <laughs> And and, uh, and it pays off in all sorts of awesome ways. Uh, and, and Pat's, honestly, some of the, the dialogue is so good. Like, it's rare that I would sit there and read dialogue in my head like this and genuinely laugh, like genuinely laugh at the uh, acerbic Rick dialogue that comes <laughs> naturally out of Pat and uh, and delivers with such punch. Uh, and... and uh, the pathos that he's able to get out of Jerry as well really knocked me out. And I'm just trying to keep as much of that gold as possible and add in all sorts of extra little nostalgic bits of D&D and bring all sorts of other, you know, sort of bridging elements into the fold at the same time and try not to kill Troy. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm really looking forward to maybe eventually because uh, issue three came around and and I, I, I sent it off and it came back and and I and I was like and I'm like, ooh, so many pages. Like I'm so glad <laughs> that I mean I'm kind of responsible because I did send off the script, but it's not totally me because they're the one that put the page count on it. And so <laughs> then I went through and I'm like, I know this is too many pages, 
what can maybe I weed out? Because believe it or not, I, I really strive towards economy in my writing. Um, you know, and that's why the books take so long is I, I constantly weed things out while I'm writing. So I went in and I, I, I pulled, I'm like, oh, we can pull these panels. I can pull this line of dialogue. It gets tighter. And then I'm like, oh, but now I need two more panels for this other thing. I need to hit this beat. Mm. But also it was issue three where I finally, I was like, what if we did a page that looked like this? And then I drew like the grossest, crudest, <laughs> like, like thing. And I'm like, I've read a lot of comics. I've read a lot of Alan Moore. I've read a lot of, you know, some of these uh, Xander Cannon did some really interesting paneling in, I think it was uh, like top 10. Mm-hmm. Or you, you see some of these like next level comics well, because we don't have to follow like film. We don't have to follow. You can change the aspect ratio of the panel. You can change mm. the feel of a page in yeah. really unique ways for comics. And a lot of times the corporate stuff, they won't necessarily do as much of that because I think they're just sort of being more expedient. But if you can, you can get really wild with page layout and with the effect it has on the reader. Yeah. Cool. The, uh, I, I remember seeing some of those. So I, I proposed one full page that I think is going to turn out pretty good. I was pretty sure. And I knew I could trust the team if they looked at it and they're like, oh, I see what you're trying to do, but no, that ain't going to work. And then it came back and I'm like, oh, cool, shit. I think it will work. (laughs) Um, And then there was another sort of half page. I'm like, I know we've got it kind of laid out like this, but could we do it like this? I think this might get it across. And that was, that's some pretty like baby step stuff compared to like, what Alan Moore did in like Promethea, like the, the wild panel sure. where like there was a two page fold out in the first uh, volume of Promethea where people came in on this page. They went up the fire escape outside of a building. You had a whole conversation inside the house and then they left through the fire escape and came down the other side. And it was an Amazing. entire scene in a two page fold out that was very intuitive to look at, but also you were, you were just looking at a building and I'm like, who the f- you know, does this? This is brilliant and beautiful. And so I've, I've taken like a tiny, a tiny step in that direction because for me, like, again, what, as, as, uh, as Jim has seen left to my own scripting devices, typically you'll get a screenplay, you know, right. not a, not a comic script. Got it, got and it. figuring out also how to most effectively deliver some of that stuff in the panels. Like, in not every panel needs to even have dialogue. Silent moments, you know, you want to contrast out big action and big dialogue or, you know, quiet moments or transitions and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's something that, you know, the more you work with any kind of medium, the better you're going to get at it. So it's been kind of fun sort of saying, okay, here's trying to bring my strengths into the fold and say, okay, here's good comic storytelling or here's what we can do to sort of play with it and also reflect back. Like um, there's a scene in, in issue four that is parallel to issue two and we use the exact same paneling and the exact same pacing to visually bring you back to that moment and remind you of something that happened earlier because it has a thematic kind of, of, of payoff. And doing that kind of stuff can be a lot of fun, too, where you have sort of echoes of earlier ideas or in the same way that in a movie, someone will say a line of dialogue that they said earlier, but it means something very different 
now that they've gone through this story. You know, stuff like that. We can do really, really fun stuff. I love that kind of stuff for sure. That we don't have to make this uh, simplistic just because it's some kooky corporate crossover. Like we're trying to hit these weird high points and do all sorts of crazy stuff because who knows when will you ever get the chance to play with these toys in this, in this way? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time trying to inject as many uh, references to my favorite D and D adventures or NPCs or adventures or source books, like just putting those in there, like as the broad kind of ingredients of don't we all love this stuff? And there's definitely, you know, we've made a few allusions to it now with the, uh, uh, nerd culture or whatever you say. There's going to be Venn diagrams of people who will, uh, you know, be comic book fans, Rick and Morty fans, and Dungeons and Dragons fans. And we don't need to right. necessarily sell to those people for this thing. They probably already have it, and and sure. probably why. So, but like, what, what would you say to folks who? Uh, I mean, I'll just take myself for an example. I didn't read a lot of comics when I was a kid growing up, and I. Uh, I ha- I'm sorry to say, I haven't seen any Rick and Morty yet. I've been what people have told me oh it's my amazing. God. Even I've- I watched it. See, you're you're all better people than I am. Um, so it, it, but I'm a Dungeons and Dragons fan. So, like, what 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 would you say to those type of people uh, uh, who 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 don't already have an affinity to you know all three of these things? Like, what what, what right. does it bring to it? Well, I mean, in terms of D and D, one of the things that's been really a joy is that it's all real D and D. Like, we don't it, sometimes they'll do D and D in parodies on TV shows or in in other media, Big and they always have to file the serial numbers off and. Oh, it's uh, mansions and manticores, you know, or this sort of thing or whatever. And so this is like real (laughs) hardcore D&D. We have a sequence in issue two where the party is crushing stuff and we have the proper experience point totals and, you know, like ridiculous things like this. Right. Um, All the stuff. And we go through the different editions as well. So in I'm sent Troy dozens and dozens of images of like, hey, don't just, you know, here's the first edition player uh, DMG. But make sure you get that back cover correct because it's really distinctive. Yeah. Know? Like really ludicrously detailed nerd stuff. But at the same time, because we want to get it right, because it's the real thing. You know what I mean? But on the wow. other level, it's also a joyous story about gaming. It's a joyous story about coming together and discovering a new hobby. And I think that that's kind of universal mm. to a lot. Of people. I don't think it has to just be. D&D, it's about the joy of finding things that you didn't know you could find joy in, you know, stuff like that as well. Pat, you want to run with the torch on the on the Rick and Morty or whatever other angle? Uh, you know, I, you know, it's something I had to come to grips with when I was working on book two um, in my series where a lot of people had read the first one. And I knew that some people despite all of my prayers would pick up the second book without ever having read the first one mm. or who might've read the first book um, like four years ago, you know, and then pick up the second one. And there were people who have read the first book 20 times and then would read the second one. Um, and in the future, some people would reread the first one and the second one And so whenever you're writing anything, you're writing to a lot of different audiences. Um, I used to teach writing uh, and I used to sort of beat that drum kind of mercilessly that if you're not thinking about audience, you're screwing everything up. Um, 
I'm not really a, a big fan of the right for yourself school of thought. Mm. Um, you know, and so we do. We have people who know a little bit about D&D, who have only been exposed to D&D through Stranger Things. We have people who have only done D&D for fourth edition and then they quit because they only liked fourth edition and then it moved on. We have people who used to play back in the day and gave it up because they got out of college and couldn't find a group. We got people who started way back in the day and now are in their 40s and have kind of played it off and on ever since. And you got people who have just found the game through places like Critical Role and the Adventure Zone. Yep, and that only really experience it in a narrative way and have never done it at a table. Yep. And, you know, the one thing that I think I'm pretty good at is um, being able to understand a reader's mind no matter where the reader is coming from. Um, And so it's like, I kind of wish it was just a series of Venn diagrams as opposed to a vast and dimensional like (laughs) matrix like data array of of like the 18 different potential large audience types and then the 27 smaller potential audience types. Um, But when you come right down to it, what I really want to do in a story is I want there to be something. I want there to be a lot on the surface. So no matter who is reading it for the first time, will enjoy it. But I want there to be enough farther down that no matter how many times you reread it, you always see something new. Yeah. Yeah. And that was important. I think across the board that you wanted to be able to read it, you get all the high points and you go, Oh, this is a funny story. Oh, this is all about gaming. And then you go back and you reread it and you see whether it's certain turns of a phrase or little bits in the background or jokes on the bulletin board in the school or little things that'll, that'll keep people sort of engaged on that. Um, when I started writing the D&D comic, uh, Legends of Baldur's Gate, that came out around the same time as 5th edition launched, I said, look, as much as I want the D&D hardcore to read this, and I hope they do read it, I want something that a brand new reader who doesn't even play D&D can just read a great fantasy story and get excited about it and want to experience more fantasy stories branded with Dungeons and Dragons. That this isn't just playing to the absolute grognard, you know, right? and, and, and all the terminology that we want to make a great dramatic story, a really fun story, a great character story first. And it just so happens to follow the canon. It just so happens to fit all the rules. It just so happens to be Dungeons and Dragons and use all the proper monsters and all the places, but you don't need to know them all with encyclopedic knowledge in order to enjoy it. But if you do know the stuff, if you have read the books, you'll see those little notes. You'll see those little touches that we have gone deep, but it doesn't, it isn't required in order to be entertaining. So we, I think we want to ask about how deep the chocolate. Yeah. How, right? how deep up in that chocolate <laughs> did you get? Technically you go into the peanut butter. Oh. Just, you know, the, so the, how the, deep the, into the peanut butter? You said you see, were going to get pretty deep in there. Sometimes, uh, well, sometimes <laughs> when, when a peanut butter loves the chocolate very much. <laughs> they make a Reese's peanut butter cup. They make, they make, uh, they make a really bad analogy. (laughs) I believe your words were something sticky and delicious. I I would send Troy these art (laughs) notes that were like, 
here is what a cobalt looks like in second edition. And it's different from third edition. And because this is a second edition moment, oh my God. in a Rick and Morty book, you have to get it right. And this is what this is. And like, and here's the size differences between these creatures. And here's what this means. And, uh, you know, stuff that, that I don't think even made it to the page, like just ridiculous stuff. Um, I also wanted where, where sometimes we would just, you would have sort of generic kind of fantasy terminology. I would always want to steer it back to actual D and D or even better if we could be specific about an adventure. So as an example, in the first issue, um, Rick takes Morty on an adventure, but it's not just any adventure. It's an actual module L1, which is the secret of Bone Hill. And that was literally just me looking through a shelf and going, what is the most faith title that Rick and Morty would make fun of because it sounds vaguely <laughs> wrong? And immediately... It's <laughs> a fun exercise. Bo- Bone Hill just wins. Like, it's, it's, the, it's the top one, right? So I said, okay, they're going to Bone Hill. And I had them do a little bit of banter about Bone Hill. And then Pat just grabbed hold of that on the script revision and just drove deep into bizarre puns around <laughs> Bone Hill. And so that's been that fun kind of riffing. It's almost like improv. Like, it's like you're always mm-hmm. plussing. You're always adding something to the mix. And I wanted it to be actual scenes from Bone Hill. So they're talking about Restonford, the village and all this stuff. And all the NPCs are correctly named. But it's also just a dumb Rick and Morty joke where they're just going to talk about boning endlessly and all this kind of stuff. So On a hill. But uh, yeah, the chocolate peanut butter. I don't know if you guys uh, uh, who are listening got the reference, but that was in the announcement uh, press release uh, for yes. this. Is a quote from Mr. Rothfuss about the press release, and that's part of my job. Sometimes I don't know if people know that I have to go and uh, review uh, press releases from our licensors. I think that's the only time, Pat, that I've actually laughed out loud at my desk at a press release. So kudos to you for that. Now I will admit that sometimes what I do is I just start to speak and then what I have said sort of leaves me much like uh, much, much, much like uh, the spirit descends and then I, I hold forth and then it, it is gone from me. Do you have the direct quote? Because I honestly can't can remember it. exactly. Yeah. We can find it. Let me, let me call it up. We actually, it, it, I, I meant to bring it. I my copy of Bone Hill here. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, you're opening it up out of the, out of the original plastic? Well, it's not the original plastic. Okay. Phew. Dude, I play these adventures, man. I know. I just want to make sure. I mean, I know that we uh, we have uh, Alex Kammer from. Uh, um, oh, I know. He. I could hear him weeping. Right I know, now. right? That he does his all of his sound uh, of plastic coming off of an old adventure. <laughs> no. So while Greg's looking that up, the actual code is sorry. Oh, I, now I got it right. So, uh, so I love Rick and Morty with a powerful love, and I played D and D since the fifth grade. Said Patrick Rothfuss. So when you, they approached me about writing a story with both of them together, that's some serious. You got chocolate in my peanut butter shit right there. I'm in. I'm all the way in. I'm getting that chocolate all up in the peanut butter, like deep in, all the way in. It's going to be sticky and delicious. <laughs> how, did we, how did we get that in a press release? A I, I, remember, I think you get some I, leeway with Rick and Morty. That's I I, I would normally <laughs> I would just be like, oh, that's probably not a good fit for the Hasbro. And then I'm mean, like, oh, right, no, it's, it makes perfect sense for this. If you were working on like Dragon Heist, maybe you would have edited that. Maybe. Like, it's Rick and Morty. Do you know what I'm really looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the next D&D comic miniseries I do after 
Rick and Morty <laughs> where I've just been corrupted and I'm just going to be all like, 20 pages? We can't do this in 20 pages. <laughs> Are you crazy? All the and then all, we need the, more burps. all the limit, it'll all go back to normal and they'll be like, oh, you're not in that playground anymore, Jim. You got to slow down now. Come on. Ruined. I know. That's so right. we have all these uh, uh, comic book covers for this first issue yeah, is splayed this, out is in front normal? of us. This, this many covers. You know, is this normal? <laughs> when, I, when I left a little bit, when I left early on, it was because we started this and a box just showed up. No way. And it was, well, it's not just, it's been sitting there, but I haven't opened it up because I knew about all the covers, but I haven't seen all the covers. So I opened up the box, like literally sitting here, if you it wasn't that I'm like, I'm doing my mail when I'm not talking on this interview. <laughs> Paying my bills. <laughs> it's that, uh, like, it's like now here in front of me for the first time, I get to see. There are many covers. Some oh, of, you got them all. Yep. You know, some of these. They're so good. I just love that. So, this- what, so what happens is, oh, this is so they're called variant covers. And if you're not a comic collector, what it is, is they'll do a thing where they'll sometimes uh, if a retailer feels like they can really hunker down on a book and it's going to do well for them, mm. they might order a specific cover just for their retail outlet or a convention event might have their own special cover or an online outlet shopping oh, might have their own yes. special cover. Um, and to say that there has been a lot of uh, support for this book, it's ridiculous. Uh, in addition to the regular covers, there's also these special character sheet covers. So what we did was we made fifth edition stats for all the family. Yeah. First issue is Morty. And he's a, uh, I think he's a sixth level half-orc rogue. Yep. Uh, and so uh, he got statted up. Uh, Adam Lee, who I got to give big, big ups to, he did the stats uh, based on our ludicrous specifications. And then we went back and forth on them. And that's a blank character sheet cover, which you also can if you want to make a Rick and Morty style D&D character. Um, and, and, and so we got to stat up the, the whole family and each cover is going to have a different member of the family. And I, I think issue two is Summer. And then issue two is summer. Yeah. Yeah. Issue three is there's going to be two covers. going to be uh, Beth and Jerry. And then issue four is Rick. Um, but there's a bonus thing in the back of issue one. And I just asked for it. Like, again, I feel like I get to be stu- so indulgent. I said, you know, Rick has been playing since first edition. He would have a maxed out archmage. So what if we had a 36 level archmage in the back nice. done up and lo and behold, they uh, statted it up for us. Oh, yeah. And put- I, uh, my friend Nate Taylor, uh, folks that know this guy. my stuff, oh, there you go. Uh, Nate uh, did up that that sheet and a lot of the, the flourishes, yeah. like the things written in the margin. That's why I love working with Nate um, on everything we do. We did a, a, the picture book together. He illustrated Slow Regard for me. He does my maps. Um, and all of the little like things and the, the marginalia on that character sheet is, is the pure, beautiful child of his brain, um, including shit just that's like, um, like never trust Gary. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what made me laugh about that was too, is the, he said, what kind of stuff do you want on the character sheet? And I just wrote like, I think like 10 or 12 little dorky things and then he put them all in. That's I awesome. thought he was going to put like one or two. But I was like, oh, what if he has a, a pet beholder called Norb the Orb? And he's like, yeah, okay. Uh, there's, like, <laughs> there's all sorts he of stuff. He's got stuff in the point. margins that are like, um, 
he, he's got a, a like a puzzle code, like you had written it in the margin from a module, you know, that that's where you keep the, the mnemonic for a puzzle. Right. Uh, all sorts of really good stuff. And there's right. also ludicrous things of like power gaming stuff like uh, Rick has super eatic memory. So he has all spells permanently memorized and stuff. That's a good looking cover. Is there, Troy Pat. a D&D guy? Has he ever played? He is. He is. He just recently started replaying 5th edition because he's been uh, running his kids. And so he's got the bug bad, uh, which is kind of nice. That is good. Yeah. I love all those like little, I mean, it reminds me of the sticker sheets we do here with uh, Emmy Tanji. I I will use the graphic designer here uh, who does the graphic design for for Dragon Heist that just came out, uh, for example. But I'll give her like, oh, I want these uh, things for the sticker sheet. And then she will write the most hilarious stuff in the margins uh, and I love that they, they see the light of day in, in yeah. these sticker sheets uh, and her, her uh, type of thing. So that's great. Oh, that's I a good one too. Got, I just got a Dragon Heist today, actually. Nice. Uh, in the mail. So I'm really excited. Good mail to, day for you guys. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I do want to let you guys know, all of these uh, covers, uh, you, you can collect them on your own. That's totally possible for f- fans out there to do. But yeah. if you are going to Game Hall Con, uh, which is in Madison, Wisconsin, run by a uh, friend of the show, Alex Kammer. He will be auctioning off a set of all of what? these covers. Uh, all for charity uh, for our Extra Life uh, initiative there to benefit uh, Seattle Children's Hospitals. So nice. if you're going to We Game Hall Con already, check out uh, uh, that auction and, and, and get it all. We're trying to figure out how to do a digital version of it, but I know at least there will be an analog auction Sweet. available. I think that's pretty cool. That is awesome. Yeah. Because I know it's a lot of work. I think issue two will be out at the end of the month. It might be, it's either last week of September or first week of October. Sweet. So it's going to go like one a month. uh, And there's four issues total for this? Yeah, there's a skip month in the middle because uh, when when we uh, got extra ambitious on it, all of a sudden, (laughs) uh, I think issue two is like 23 pages and then 24 pages. And then the last issue is 24 pages. So we had to give Troy a little more room so we have a skip month in the middle but we'll be done by end of the year so cool uh, and it'll end up being a discreet story at the end people oh, will be yeah. like yeah great. yes yep 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 and the uh, I mean the last script is done we're just basically putting the last little tweaks on it uh, uh, Troy's deep in issue three finishing up issue three <laughs> uh, uh, line art and uh, yeah and someday sanity will return it's good <laughs> He's as deep as the chocolate is in that peanut butter right now. That's right. Well, and I think what's been so fun about it is the the indulgent aspects of it. Like uh, issue three has references to the old D and D Saturday morning cartoon. Nice. Like we've we've got tons of first edition stuff. Jim, Jim. Oh, sorry. They all die. They all die at the end, right? At the end of issue three, and then they have to get resurrected. He's talking about issue three. I'm very. We're talking to the hardcore here. It's okay. Leave a little. Oh, this is not. Just millions of people watch it. Let let it be a surprise. (laughs) True. Let things be a surprise. So we'll just roll back the tapes uh, five minutes. No, no, no. I just, I just wanted to gently well, the, on the, the break there before anything got revealed that was really the cover to issue three has already got the it's it's out there in the wild and that's got the uh, the dungeon master from the old Saturday morning. Cartoon. I love that Pat, you're being the the, the Don Cheadle of this organi- of this interview right here. You're like, <laughs> no, 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 don't spoil <laughs> what happens here at the end. I've always, I've always been vehemently non-spoiler, like. Uh, um, 
in, in, in all my different types of media. There's, uh, you only get to you only get to kiss somebody for the first time once, and you don't want to wreck that. So, mm. especially with that luxurious beard, <laughs> <laughs> you want to wreck it for the person who's receiving that kiss, right? They can only do that once. Gorgeous, <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Well, what else? Uh, I know you guys are all working on a thousand million other projects, uh, but what uh, you know? Anything to hint at for, for what's to come in the next few months, other than these awesome books? What are you working on, Pat? Um, I'm actually working with Nate on uh, on a comic project um, that we've got a few offers in on, but it's likely that we might just kickstart it. Um, it's the comic adaptation of uh, The Boy That Loved the Moon. It's a story out of my world. Um, and he and I have been roughing out the thumbnails and the paneling. I mean it's i mean working with um a team on on this this comic project has been great um and there's been a remarkably light amount of oversight from the ip holders but um like me and nate work really well together and being able to really just go ahead and do our own things and be answerable to no one is a real delight so we're we're sort of playing around there and mostly making ourselves happy and <laughs> and that way if we want to publish it as an entire volume instead of a series of whatever we don't have to worry about hitting like a 20 or a 22 or a 23 issue arc just to satisfy like a, a, an individual comic retailer thing we can write the whole story as it maybe belongs as a graphic novel uh, but then maybe once we're done with it we'll look at it and if it breaks up reasonably well into pieces then maybe we'll consider that for a larger release or, or something like that but uh that's one of the other things you know some stories going on i'm working on the hollywood the tv show and the movie thing um how's that there's, going there's, it's it's an interesting world, <laughs> an interesting world. <laughs> that's that's yeah that's about as much as we get from from yep. the D side of things too we're like all right yeah. that's a it's interesting that's a more ass yep. of uh of fun that we are getting sucked into <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jim? I know you got lots of other, uh, uh, you know, your Avengers titles, all that. What's, yeah, what's... I'm juggling quite a few comic projects. So I've got um, the monthly book I do at Marvel is called Champions, and it's sort of the young heroes of Marvel. So it's a bunch of these um, younger heroes. Some of them used to be Avengers, and they quit the Avengers because they felt like that the Avengers had lost their way, and they wanted to get back to what was really important, like making the world a better place and sort of fighting for a world that that they're going to stand to inherit in the future. So you've got characters like uh, the young Ms. Marvel. You've got Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Um, you've got Riri Williams, Ironheart, uh, Viv Vision, the daughter of the Vision, uh, Sam Alexander Nova, uh, uh, Nadia Van Dyne, the Wasp. All these characters kind of brought together along with a new character that I created called Snowguard. And um, we're doing all sorts of classic sort of teen superhero stuff. But the upcoming story that starts in October actually takes them to this sword and sorcery side of uh, the Marvel Universe called Weird World. Mm. And I'm making no delusions of the fact that it's a big, you know, my D&D uh, self is is a big influence there. Nice. Two of my favorite stories when I was growing up were there's a story in Uncanny X-Men 190-191 where Manhattan gets turned into a fantasy world. And the Avengers and the X-Men all get turned into these fantasy characters. Huh. And that was like pure... 
joy to me when I was a kid because it was like my two favorite things, superheroes and D&D coming together. Uh, and then there's a two-part story that came out as well in the 80s uh, where the X-Men go to Asgard. And so it's like, oh man, mythology crashed into superheroes is one of my favorite things. And so um, I'm really taking a lot of those influences and doing this three-part story that starts in uh, Champions number 25 and doing this big wild sword and sorcery story. And it's being drawn by Max Dunbar, who drew oh. Legend of Baldur's Gate. Mm -hmm. so, he's, uh, I think he's in the building right he now. Too, or he was. Is he? Yeah. Um, excellent. Just grab him, drag him into the studio. Exactly. Here. Get to so, work. Yeah, Legend, Legends of Baldur's Gate, the book that uh, he and I did together at IDW, the first sort of fifth edition D&D &D comic. And so I have pulled him into the Marvel fold to do this sword and sorcery story. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, at the same time, I'm wrapping up my creator-owned series, Wayward, which has been published in Image since 2014. So issue 30 comes out, and it's the big climax. And that will be out at Halloween, and it's going to be just this wild apocalyptic finish uh, for all the characters and all the plot lines that we've been sort of spinning together. Uh, I've got more D&D comics coming in 2019 mm -hmm. and other projects that will be announced probably at New York Comic Con. Sweet, man. That's, wow. that's yeah. too much. That's too much to list. It's it's a little bonkers. You guys yeah. make it sound like cop writing comics is like something you just do in a day. I mean, how do you have time <laughs> to do all of this? That's a lot of stuff you both just rattled off that you're working on. I would like yeah. to, to really, really make it clear that comics is something you don't do in a day. <laughs> no. I would, I would like to share that one of the major things that I've learned over this process <laughs> is that comics just don't happen in a day. Oh, because that, that, that's what I took away from this. There's oh. fewer words. Doesn't <laughs> no. mean that it's easier to write. No. Um, in, in fact, like, it's the, I know, I know why it works this way, but, like, these email threads. <laughs> there's like, Your there's body like, language right now is, like, basically my like, world. You know, <laughs> There's this program called Slack, and it's designed so that oh, multiple people can get together and discuss a thing. And you don't, it's not like looking into a Cthulian abyss. <laughs> Could I can you please bring this to the process? <laughs> you people, because it's like, how about we have eight people discuss something on a, on a thread with 80 messages in it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I know that typically, like, they're used to this, whereas, like, I usually go off and I write a thing. And then I talked to a couple of people about it one-on-one. -on -one, and then I'm like, hey, here's the thing. Let's copy edit it because now it's done. Right. And instead, there's this, this, this very important <laughs> and I'm sure essential and reasonably <laughs> process of approvals that uh, requires so many emailings back and forth. Oh, yeah. Um, Lots of the electronic mail. experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. See now Slack, you mentioned it, when you're like in the email like work zone, adding in a Slack thing just means like okay, now I have two programs I need to be right. watching that are not on the same level, and it's okay. Now I have this other, and I, social media gets added onto that now, where like people, you know, we're using Twitter direct messages as a form of communication. So <laughs> now we got three things that I've got to watch. It quickly becomes even worse. But so it, 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 the, the goal is to get everyone on one thing, I think. And, then right. and, and, and the truth is, it's, it's mostly that, like, I've recently transitioned by email. And the way that Google threads messages is profoundly counterintuitive to me. And so, like, 
if I'm if I'm up and I'm watching the emails come in, I can participate. And if I miss a day, it's like, well, you're out. I guess, yep. uh, yeah. I, guess I guess I just will never know what happens on the rest of this. Thread. <laughs> uh, and then, J- Jim, I don't know if it's Canadian email or something like that, but your messages seem to put your the threading is like below the message that I just sent you. Your reply is for some reason. Right. I don't yeah, know. Like, it's screwing this up. I, it's in French and English, and it's covered in maple syrup. And- <laughs> <laughs> we do things differently here, okay? Yeah, all I see is you with, like, red maple leaves over your eyes. That's right. That's right. I just... I come in and I just say bonjour, and then I just write the whole <laughs> thing. You're backwards. But oh you, you know what's really great, though, is that it, in, the, in the process... It, 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 you know, the Canadianness comes through. I just say I'm sorry over and over. <laughs> and the whole thing gets done. It's really powerful. It is. I, it's uh, true. Well, thank you guys. Oh, go ahead. Oh, we're at, uh, we're at time here. Yeah. We're, yeah, we actually have a, 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 yeah, some folks coming in. So thank you so much for spending the hour with us. I really loved it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I could uh, listen to you guys talk forever and ever. So we, this should be like a weekly. I know. You guys Keep do that live stream. going. Yeah, with the team. Talk more. I love it. Hey, Pat, it's an ongoing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like eventually I'll, I'll hit my stride. Um, right around 28 pages, I think, is my actual length. <laughs> it is the perfect format. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. We'll uh, look for issue two coming next uh, next month, right? Well, it's either end of this month. It'll either be last week of September or first week of October. Uh, but issue one is available everywhere fine comics are sold. Or they're sold out and you need to hit them up for reorders. And get a different uh, cover. A, yeah. Collect all the covers. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> what a jolly interview. They were jolly in a I'm trying to rhyme with jolly. It doesn't really rhyme very well. Holly? That's holly jolly Christmas. Yeah. Uh I think they really like each other and like working together. I think they do too. Did you get that sense? I got that vibe. Yep. Yeah. That they just really jammed on uh this Rick and Murdy Murdy. Er- <laughs> Rick and Murdy versus the Dungeons and Dragons storyline. And I can't wait for issue two, three, and four out there. You're going to love it. I think Shelly's right. She's lost her breath. She can't even breathe. She's laughing so much. You're going to love it. You didn't know. You didn't, you're not the only one with some vocal talents oh, there, wow. Shelly. Impressed with that. Yeah, you might gonna have to whip out yeah. a C3PO at some point just to deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's very quick. You can just drop into it now. I'm so used to it. I do it at home all the time. <laughs> You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. I might have to listen to this podcast just so I can hear you say that again. Nice. Uh you will. You'll have to. I do. Yeah, it's your it's your it's your homework. Oh my god! Um, so we mentioned uh, a couple of fun stuff, but we didn't mention Access and Allies and Zombies. Hey, which is popping out pretty soon. Popping out the end of October, October twenty sixth. There will be a zombie apocalypse happening in nineteen forty one. Maybe we are reverse engineering history. Alternate history edition. I think the zombies are going to win. What do you think? That happens. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Pretty often. Well. Sometimes they're they're hard to contend with those zombies. Sometimes they help. Yeah, if you use them wisely. 
sometimes they don't. But it's a cool way to think about the Axis and Allies strategy with this wild card of the zombies yes. going on. You haven't got no idea what you're, if you thought you had tried and true um, strategies that were the only way to play Throw with Germany, like, you know, buy lots of tanks because yep. that's what Germany does and they just roll over Russia. That's all you got to keep doing. Uh uh-uh. uh. That ain't gonna work, bro. It doesn't work. Because you'll be making zombies. Changes. Yeah. Zombies pop up every single turn and you don't know where they're gonna be. And if there's a, a big battle with lots of casualties, yeah. guess what? Zombies. Zombies. So. Boom, shakalaka. What are you gonna do? It's, it, it like encourages small little surgical strikes. Yep. Surgical strategy. Is that your strategy? I don't know. I actually, I've only I play tested it a couple times, but I never really found a winning strategy. It was so very my... interesting watching the Axis and Allies players playing it. Yeah. Because they were just like throwing their hands up in the air, like everything I know about Axis and Allies is wrong. This isn't how I play. Exactly. And they made that face like, oh, the whole totally time. They totally did. Yeah. They did. And they were the hands up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I was play acting it for the, you. You were role playing and doing a terrible job. Of no, it, it was I will good. not say. And they said. We're gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna love these zombies. <laughs> oh my god! I can't wait. When does that come out? October twenty sixth. October twenty sixth. We got so much stuff. October right and corner. November. Yeah. Jam packed. Bang 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 bang. Hope you like shopping for games because you're gonna be doing it every week. We've got uh, ABCs and one two threes of D and D. Those are coming out. Uh, they might not be. I think we were talking about October 23rd. They yeah. might might be in November when you start seeing them in stores, but definitely before the holidays. Okay. We had a lot of printing happening at one time. Uh, also, core sets, core <gasps> gift sets of the Dungeons & Dragons core oh rule books. Uh, they may also be uh, a week or two a little bit uh, uh, delayed, but will be uh, in your hands before you know it. And wrapped and gifted. Gifted and then high-fived. And high-fived. Hey, Done. core gift sets. Nice to see you. Where can people find out about uh, you and what you're doing, Shelly? I just totally snorted into the mic. You sharted? <laughs> <laughs> it was my nose. We're going to have to end this podcast We're have pretty to. early. Can you edit out boogers? <laughs> <laughs> Shelly is such a skilled voice actor that she is uh, play acting uh, the, the sharts coming out of her nose. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find out about? They're not going to want to. Let's be honest. <laughs> Nobody wants to. All right, fine. We'll just skip that part. If they, I mean, you could follow me at Greg Tito and ask me what's happening with Shelly and if she's okay. I, I'm at Shelly Moon. Oh, that's the if one you really wanted to. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find out uh, about everything that's happening with uh, this game that we are ostensibly having this podcast about. You can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Yep. There's a lot there. So much. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. It's Wizards underscore DND. Uh, we are also on the Facebook as well as the Instagram as Dungeons and Dragons. But one thing I always want to throw out there is Dragon Plus. Yes. Get it on one your mobile. shopping. It's on uh, Android. It's on iOS. You can even look at it on the web at uh, DragonMag.com. Everything is there. There's a new issue coming out in October with tons of fun stuff. But it's the last the board game issue. The board game issue. Super important Woo! for you who love board games. Uh, but the previous issue was all about kids and uh, how to get them playing in games. Kids. And that is also uh, near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So when I was picking Quinn up from his after school program, yeah. I gave them the school a lot of magic cards yeah. and some D&D stuff. Uh-huh. Quinn was over in the game area with this little girl, and I heard her going, I don't know how to play magic. 
And Quinn goes, yeah, well, I play Dungeons and Dragons. And it's really fun. And she was like, oh. Like, oh, look at my little boy. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> He's so cute. He was like cleaning his fingernails. Yeah, like, He's like, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I play Dungeons and Dragons. My mom. Oh, she works there. Quinn. Ruin it. Don't talk about your mom. Come on. Come on. Had, she was interested. Yeah, maybe she's going to play Dungeons and Dragons. She might now. That's nice. Yep. We'll invite her to our group. It'll be fun. She's five. That's what I mean. Okay. To the group with my five year old. Oh, the and kid your five year old. Yeah. When are we doing this? Soon. Tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Tomorrow. All right, we got to go. We got to go plan Bye. a kid's We got to go yeah. plan a kid's date. We got to do this. We got to do it before 7 before they all go to bed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of planning to take care of. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, recording this episode. Um, and one thing is really cool about Waterdeep Dragon Heist is that there's all of these pieces of gold. Um, but if you just look up here. Oh, God. Oh. oh we're